here we are in the book of John, and look, Craig's already given us a you know, good little intro to where we're at in the Gospel of John. We have been, over the last few weeks, I feel like we've been looking at some of the, the cracking claims that Jesus makes about himself. Um, can you remember the last few weeks? Jesus makes a whopping big claim, and then he follows it usually with an invitation for us to do with the claim that he's made about himself. So a couple of weeks ago, we got, I am the what do we get? The bread of life. Yep. And then last week we got, I am the living water. This week it's, I am the light of the world. The way John organized his gospel was awesome because he connects Jesus's claims to some type of a miracle or a sign that's called in John's gospel. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life off the back of just feeding 5,000 people bread, you know, and then gives the invitation, hey, come to me and eat. I'm going to give you more than what you're hunting for here with a free lunch. And then with the I am living water, Jesus does that at the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles where one of the key symbols is water that everyone's been celebrating. And he stands up and says, "Um, I'm the living water, come to me and drink. This week, the claim that Jesus makes, is still connected with that same Feast of the Tabernacles where Jesus says, "Um, I am the... I am the light of the world, it's connected with the Feast of the Tabernacles in this way. Um, It was a seven-day feast, and as you might imagine, there was a number of different ceremonies that they would do each day. One of them included what we looked at last week, this concept of water flowing from the altar, and they'd all celebrate as the water flowed. Um, I want to talk to you about one of the other ceremonies that they did each day at this Feast of the Tabernacles that was a ceremony called the, the Illumination of the temple. So it was a ceremony to do with light. Yep. So maybe some of you are aware of this already, but here's what they did, and I'm pretty sure they did it every evening as it got dark. These apparently these four massive candelabras around the temple with hundreds of candles on each of them. And at a certain point of the evening they'd go around and somehow light up all these candles. But it would light up apparently in the kind of way that you know, light would kind of flood the whole temple and it would spill out into the temple courts and then out even beyond the temple courts, um, out into the streets of Jerusalem. And so in that way, the, you know, the temple would become like the light of Jerusalem as the light spilled out into the streets around them. And, and at this moment, apparently what everyone did was a similar thing as with the water. All the crowds that were in the temple courts or out on the streets would be waiting for this moment where the lights would come on, effectively. And as the lights spilled out into the streets, they would start celebrating, they'd start singing, they'd start you know, playing instruments, um, and they would light torches and dance with them. How cool is that? Picture that. You know, streets full of people dancing with lit torches. I reckon, you know, God's people in the Old Testament here are the original fire-twirling hippies, all right? They got it started and they would party and they would dance. And as they would do that, as they would do that on this symbol of light, they would do it particularly to remember God's saving goodness in the past and particularly this moment in their history. Can you think of a time in their history where God saved them and light was involved? When they were rescued from slavery in Egypt and they were led out to, you know, to cross the Red Sea and to go to Sinai where they could worship God, God led them during the day with a pillar of cloud. Like it wasn't really Moses leading the people, God went before them. 
a theophany, a whopping big cloud in the sky. And about a million people followed this cloud during the day. But at night, the cloud turned into a pillar of fire, this big lit up cloud or something like that, which really is the symbol of light before them so they could continue to travel into the night. And so light for them symbolised, or they were making the connection between light and salvation. And so when the light would flood out in the streets in Jerusalem, they would be deliberately trying to remember God's goodness to save them. And the kind of songs that they would sing would be remembering songs where God used light. Now, is... um. I'm looking for Matt, but oh, you're right there. <laughs> okay, so, so look, here's one of the songs they would sing. Psalm 27, maybe you know this psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. This was part of what they would sing as the light flooded out in the streets. And as they'd sing, they'd look forward. Not to, they wouldn't just look back at what God had done. They'd look forward to the coming of the servant, the Messiah. And so they'd sing from psalm, from sorry, Isaiah 49, this one, the I will make you a light for the Gentiles, speaking about the Messiah who is to come, that my salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. And so these are the kind of songs that they would sing as the light burst out of the temple. So the symbol of light was bursting out of the temple, singing songs about how God is their saviour. And it's in the midst of this ceremony, actually probably on the final day, maybe the afternoon after he says the previous words, Jesus stands up. And in that context, he says, I am the light of the world. You know, can you catch the significance? It might be that the temple in this moment is kind of the light of Jerusalem. But Jesus goes up and he says, I'm the light of the world. And, and, And a key thing here being, I'm the one that's come to bring salvation, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. Yeah? Can you catch the significance of his words? I'm the light of the world, Jesus says. Now, what we're going to do, try to do tonight is just think about the symbol of light, you know, the obvious things about it. But really, we want to ask the question, how does the Bible use the concept of light? Now, if we were going to do a thorough job, we'd be here for about 16 hours, so we can't do that. I'm just going to lean into two of the key ways that light is used in the Scripture, because that's going to help us understand what Jesus means when he says he's the light of the world. You with me? The first one, well, before I get to the two I want to talk about, the first one is the concept of salvation. Um, But here's the two that I reckon are the most prominent ones in scriptures to do with light. It means two things. Light is good, I'm simplifying, and light is revealing. Light is good, meaning this, when you see light in scripture, it's often speaking about something that represents perfect, holy purity. Yeah, that's what light is like. So when you get to 1 John chapter 1 and it says God is light, in him there is no darkness, what it's saying is, I don't have that one for you, (laughs) sorry, Um, Matt's looking at me, Uh, what he's saying there is when God says uh, I am light, he's saying God is sinless perfection, he's completely holy, you know, there's, there's no sin in him, he's pure. That's often the way light is used in Scripture. You know, God is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. Yeah? Because he's too holy. Yeah? He's too pure. And so when Jesus comes and uses the imagery of light, I'm the light of the world, he's he's saying, yeah, I'm God. I'm the one without sin. I'm the one who's perfect, holy. I'm the righteous one. I'm God. 
Yeah? The big one I'm going to spend most time talking about tonight, though, is the concept of light being what reveals. Yep, that's the way it's used in Scripture. It, it, it's revealing. Um, and, you know, Craig kind of talked about that earlier when he's trying to get to his... Um, in the middle of the night, trying to get to his bed and it's dark and you bump around into things. That's often what light does. You flick the light on and it reveals what's right there in front of you, which is very helpful, isn't it? I'm finding that in my older age, can I say that? In my, well, as I get older, my eyesight is beginning to falter in the kind of way that I'm learning to really appreciate light more and more. You know, are you with me? Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. Literally, in your mid-40s, every man and woman starts to get degeneration of the some kind of nerve in your eyeball. A doctor could tell me what it is. So it, it happens for all of us. Everyone starts needing reading glasses. You get to that point in your life where candlelit dinners, um, instead of being romantic, can sometimes start being frustrating because you, you, you can't see your food and you, you can't see your bride and you, you know, you're making all kinds of mistakes. Um, at, at my age, you know, when I'm trying to find... I know there's a splinter in my hand, I can feel it, but I can't see the thing. You know, someone are you with me? When my kids come to me and they say, Dad, I've got a splinter in my hand, I'm like, I'm going to trust you here and I'm just going to start poking around, but I can't see it. But you know what I have started to do recently? is to put a head torch on. you got a head torch? You know when you go camping, people take head torches so you can see what's going on. I'm at the age where I'm just going to start wearing a head torch everywhere all the time. You know, so I can just function in the evenings. You know, I can see who's in front of me. People don't like having that light shine in their eyes at dinner, I know, but at least I can see their face. I can get splinters out. I can read at night time, all that kind of stuff. You get my point, don't you? Light shows you what's there. Yep. And, and, and that's, that's a big part of the way Scripture uses light. Um, when something's well lit, you can see what's going on. Light reveals what's happening right in front of you. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, I think one of the key things that he's saying is, I'm the one that reveals the truth. I'm the one that's going to f- be the light that comes on and shows you what's really happening here. I'm actually going to reveal to you and expose to you what this world is and what's going on for you. I'm the light of the world. I'm going to reveal truth. You got that? It's a big part of what Jesus is saying. Now, when Jesus comes and says, that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to reveal truth to you, you might imagine that that could at the same time be a wonderful thing, but also an uncomfortable thing to have truth revealed. It's wonderful to have, to have God's Son come and actually show us what life is all about. It's wonderful because it's, it's incredibly orienting for those who would listen and look. Yep. When Jesus, the light of the world, comes, and what he shows us is, is that this world we're living in is a world that's made by God and so therefore is owned by God. He, he also shows us that we are those who are created by God and therefore belong to him. He shows us that we are those who are made to honour him as we live in his world. That's beautifully orienting, to have those big questions about life answered. Where am I? Who am I? What am I meant to be up to? Jesus says, I'm going to reveal to you the deal here. Here it is. My world, (laughs) I made you, you exist to honour me. That's huge. And that's comforting and it's wonderful. However, to have Jesus reveal to us the truth... 
also exposes and shows us that we fail to honour him with our lives, yeah? Even though we know it's his world and we're meant to live for him, Jesus will reveal to you your failure. He revealed to you your desire for yourself rather than him. He'll actually show you that really your big problem is the same as my big problem, and that is that deep in our hearts we've got an issue that makes us actually reject the one who made us and rebel from him. So as Jesus, the light, comes, he brings comfort and he exposes. I think it's comfort for those who are willing to draw near to the light. And if you notice how different insects will react to light differently... You know, some insects are drawn to the light. You know, you flick a light on and moths and, I don't know, all those types of things come flying toward the light and gather around the light. You can be like a winged insect that's drawn to the light or you can be like a cockroach that runs for the shadows when the light comes on. You know, when you get up in the middle of the night because you're feeling snacky, you know, and you flick the light on. This doesn't happen in my house because we don't have cockroaches, but I hear it happens in yours. And like you flick the lights on and the, sca- the cockroaches just scatter. They, they run for the shadows. They don't want the light. They don't want to be exposed. They know they've been up to no good, right? And they don't want anyone to see them. You know, I think this is... what do you, Both can happen for you, but I think primarily either one or the other is going to happen for you in your life. You're going to be drawn to the light and get life, or you're actually going to run from the light and hide in the shadows. This concept of Jesus revealing this reality is is the uncomfortable truth of him being the light of the world. It's the uncomfortable truth of the reality of the darkness of our world and the darkness of our lives. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Like, for Jesus to say he's the light of the world only works if he's a light that's come into darkness. Otherwise, you wouldn't notice him or you wouldn't see him or there wouldn't be anything about him. If the world was already brilliantly light, then what would be the point of saying he's the light of the world? No, no, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world and I've come into darkness and this is the uncomfortable truth about our world and the uncomfortable truth about ourselves that we need to understand. So look at, you go back to the beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 1, where you get all the themes of John's Gospel put out to us in the first 18 verses. Here's one of them, John 1, verse 5. Um, It says this, speaking about Jesus, the light shines in the darkness. Yeah? The darkness. And check it out, you go to John chapter 3, after the famous verses, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Keep reading and you get to this bit. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds are evil. That's a beautiful thing that the light of the world would come, but the truth is he's coming into darkness and people love darkness. That's the tragedy about our state. You go to Luke chapter 1 where you've got um, Zachariah's song. Um, and um, Have I got Luke 1 there? I don't have Luke 1. <laughs> um, you know at the beginning of Luke's gospel where Zachariah sings this song, at the end of the song he's, he's, he's celebrating the coming of Jesus and he says, The rising sun has come to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. That's a pretty heavy way to describe the world we live in, living in darkness and in the shadow of death. If you came to church tonight thinking, I just want to hear nice things, then don't open up your Bible because you're going to hear things like this where Jesus says, I'll tell you what this world is. 
It's heavy and it's bleak, but if this is true, you need to hear it. We need to accept the reality of what the light of the world reveals to us about the state of our world. Now, maybe some of you can quite easily. You hear that darkness and you quite easily go, oh, yeah, yeah, this world, it's quite dark. And you can point to a whole bunch of things. And maybe you even feel the darkness intensely. Maybe you can even look around at the Coffs Coast and, and know that even in a place of paradise, you know, in the north coast like this, you scratch below the surface and you see carnage and you see damage and you see pain and you see darkness, you know. You see our society attempting to function in a way that's helpful, but you see cracks all over the place and you see brokenness and you see domestic violence and you see suicide and we see all kinds of issues going on. So maybe you can kind of look and go, oh yeah, there's darkness. I see it. Can you take the next step and say, yeah, yeah, no, I see the darkness in me too. It's not just in the people out there. And that's the easiest thing to do actually with the Bible and the message of Jesus is to, whenever you hear about him being the saviour, he's the one who's come to help, he's the one who's come to reveal, you kind of go, oh, that's great for the people who are really struggling. That's that's great for the people who are in all sorts of trouble, yet they really need Jesus. No, you need him. You need him as much as anyone needs him. I need him desperately. I'm going to say more than you, <laughs> you know, because there's a darkness in us that needs to have the light of Jesus shone on it. But it can be pretty frightening and I think even paralyzing to live in this world understanding its darkness. And maybe even when Craig talked about bumbling around in his bedroom, maybe sometimes you feel like, yeah, that's my life. I feel like I'm trying to make my way through life, but I don't really know what's right in front of me. And I'm trying to make decisions and I feel like I'm wrecking a lot of them and I'm damaging myself and others around me. And it's like I'm walking through life with a bit of a blindfold and I'm bumping into things and I'm fumbling around. And maybe you can just, you, you, you sense that in your own life. And if you do sense that, if you can own the reality of darkness in your own life and in the world around you, then when Jesus steps on the scene, he says, listen up, I am the light of the world. Your eyes are going to pop. Your ears are going to prick up. And you're going to say, I want the light. I need light cast on this situation I'm living in. I need light cast on the world I'm living in. I need light cast right inside of myself to solve an issue that's really deep. Yeah? And that's what we get to celebrate tonight in Jesus' words. A Jesus who steps into the darkness of this world and says, I'm the true light. He's the brilliant sunrise that just comes bursting up over the horizon and, and exposes and ends the, ends the darkness of the evening. And he does it to reveal truth and offer a way out of the darkness. Here's the hope. Yep. Jesus just doesn't come and just go, it's darkness and you're gone. No, he's like, it's darkness and I'm going to offer a way out. Yeah. So if you, if you bring up the next passage, I think Matt will be, here's, here's the invitation. You know, he says, I'm the light of the world. And then he follows it with this, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we're just going to spend a little bit of time just talking about those two things. If he's the light of the world, here's the invitation. Whoever follows him, never walk in darkness and you have the light of life. That sounds amazing to me. 
Maybe it sounds amazing to you. But the vast majority of the people who are living in this world will hear Jesus say that and not feel like it's amazing at all because as we read in John 3, people love darkness and would prefer to remain stuck, sadly, in their darkness because they don't recognise that it is darkness. Because there's these false lights that they're following and that are leading them around and there's little glimpses of goodness that they think they're getting life from and maybe that's you, but spot the light, come to the light and for those of you who can see you need out of the darkness, the great news is there's a way. There's a way to be called out of the darkness. Paul talks about light and darkness a fair bit in his letters. So in Colossians, he'll talk about being rescued from the dominion of darkness. So you actually can be taken out of the darkness. This is what it is to become a Christian, to be taken from the darkness. And it happens as you come to follow Jesus. Follow me, he says. I just briefly want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus because sometimes these words will come up in our scriptures like believe in Jesus, follow Jesus and you can just skip over them but I, I don't want you to, I don't want, let's not skip over it, let's just think again, what does it mean to follow him? It, it, the biggest thing you'll ever do with your life, the hugest thing, the biggest impact you could ever have on your life is to decide to follow Jesus because to follow him is to actually to devote your life to his way. It's, it's not simply an intellectual consent that you make, I will now be a follower. It's a deep heart choice that affects the whole course of your life. It, it's actually what it means to become a disciple. So in the ancient world, the rabbis would call people to follow them and basically you would drop everything you've got and you would be a disciple of this one rabbi and you're basically just trying to become them, trained to be like them think like them, live for their purpose, honour them with obedience. And that's what Jesus says. Um, I'm going to get you to leave behind your own life and following your own way, according to your own intellect, according to what might give you the most amount of joy and glory in your life, and I want you to follow me. And Jesus is real about what that's going to mean. He says, you take up your cross and follow me. And when you follow me, it's probably going to be, you're going to experience a lot of what I experience. And he's the suffering servant. So not your own way, come and follow his. Um, I remember in my uh, later teens, early 20s or whatever, that song, that, that cracking old, it's probably an old gospel song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Yeah? And maybe you need to remember that song again tonight. And maybe you decided to follow Jesus long ago and you've been wandering and drifting. No turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus. This is what I'm going to do with my life. This is now my life. He's the light of the world. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. What's the third verse? That's the second one. Yeah? The cross before me. Oh, the world behind me. No turning back. It's a cracker. I've decided to follow Jesus. Are you someone who's decided to follow Jesus? And you know if you are, uh, let's keep going. Yeah? And if you haven't yet, what is stopping you following Jesus? Because this is the light of the world. 
who comes and says, follow me. And check out the promise that he makes for those who do follow him. It's right there for you. You never walk in darkness and you have the light of life. Let me give you these two things. And I haven't got a clock in front of me, which is dangerous. Um, Cool. I'll never walk in darkness, which means you're actually going to be able to walk in the light. The reality for the Christian is this, is that though we're still living among the darkness, we've actually been rescued from it and we don't belong to it anymore. So though we walk among it, we're able to see clearly in it and walk by the light in the darkness. Does that make sense? So, so you, can, you, can, you get to make your way through life with the lights on, with that whopping big head torch in front of you. That sounds good to me. You get to make your way through life with a level of confidence that you know how to navigate the way that your maker intended you to live. You can turn from sin and honour him. You get to actually see the world for what it is. You get to see God, God's way for what it is, which is actually true life, full life, eternal life. You get to live with your eyes open, alive, Awake, like someone just flicked the lights on. Talk about being woke, you know, that, that word gets thrown around a lot today, usually in regards to, you know, being affirming of certain situations in our world, but you know what it is to be truly woke? It's to be awake to the light of the world. It's to be able to see by the true light. It's to be a follower of Jesus. Hashtag truly woke. We get to walk by the light, never walk in darkness. And look at this next bit. This is not just that you get to walk by someone else's light, but something happens to you when you follow the light of the world. You get to have the light of life. So it's not just someone else's that you walk by. You get to have it. You get to get the light yourself. You get to be changed internally by the light of the world. You get a new identity, effectively. You become a new person because you get changed from the inside out. When you get to chapter 12 in John's Gospel, he talks about how believing in Jesus means you become children of the light. It's not just that there's a light and we're trying to be like him. You become a child of the light. That's an identity thing. Yep, that's a change from the inside of you. Ephesians 5 will say, now you are light in the Lord. That's huge. If you're a Christian, you are light in the Lord. Matthew 5 says, this is, what, this is, what, this is Jesus' own words about himself, but in Matthew 5 it says this, you are the light of the world. So if you follow the light of the world, you get his light in you, And you become the light of the world. That sounds pretty huge, doesn't it? That sounds like a massive responsibility and privilege. Ephesians 2 would say, shine among them like stars. So not only do we get to walk through life with the lights on, we actually get to have the light live inside of us. And I'll tell you what, you know, Jesus talks about light a fair bit in the Scriptures and one of the big things he says is the silliest thing to do with a light and that is to put it under a bucket or a bowl or something. You know, no one lights a light and then flicks on a lamp and 
chucks a blanket over the top. It doesn't make sense. Light is meant to shine. And so if you now have light and you are light, then you're meant to shine. Yep. So how are you going at letting the light of the world that actually is now alive in you shine forth and burst out from you? I think here's our wrestle, really. Half the time we're actually maybe a little bit ashamed, but there's a whole bunch of reasons why we might put a bowl over our light or chuck a blanket on our light. I think our sin means we struggle to shine light because we're just battling with you know, perpetual sin. I think we compromise because we want the light of the world and we want everything else, so we try and get it all. I think we're lazy and sometimes we look at someone who needs the light of Jesus and we find ourselves going, oh, I can't be bothered. And more than anything, I think we're scared. I think we're fearful that if I let the light of Jesus shine from me and others find out about it and others see it, what's that going to mean for me and my relationships? We, we can fear the impact. And we can fear that a little bit of what happened to Jesus might happen to us as well. But Jesus hasn't come to live in you so that you could put a blanket over his light. He comes to live in you and he comes to live in me so that we can be his light on the earth. Salt and light. Mm. How can we not share what we've got? When you finally get to see, how can we not share Jesus with those who are around us? Um, I'll finish on this one thing. Um, when I was young, we used to have cracker night. Um, and um, you can't really get fireworks anymore too much, can you? But you can buy sparklers, can't you? You still buy sparklers? What's the point of a sparkler? You know, you can leave it in the box and you can just save it up and keep it in the darkness. But it's not the point, is it? The point of a sparkler is to pull it out and actually it's meant to actually be connected with the flame so that it would burst into flames. Yep. It's, it sounds, it's a funny little thing to finish on, but it's like you're a sparkler. You know? You're not meant to be locked up and left in the box. You're meant to be pulled out, connected with the true light and burst into flames yourself. Yep. And we're going to burn out quickly. These 70, 80 years, we get, they're going to come and they're going to go. But during the years you've got, you're meant to shine the light of Jesus. That's why he's come to live in you. So that you would walk by the light and share the light with others that they would say, I want to come and get this light that's in this person as well. You know, would God use you? Would he use me? Would he use us together? That the light of the world would shine out across the Coffs Coast and more and more people would come. Come to the light of the world. Acknowledge the darkness. Step into the true light. Live as children of the light. I'll stop there. Let me pray and then we'll sing again. Father God, we thank you for your words to us through your son Jesus here in the Gospel of John. Thank you so much that Jesus did not mix his words but said really clearly things like what we've looked at tonight, that he is the light of the world. Lord, we want revelation. We, we want you, Jesus, to reveal to us what's really going on right in front of us. Would you open our eyes? Would you help us see? Would you flick the lights on so that we would see clearly that to follow you 
is to live a true life. Lord, help us and many more to follow you. Help us to never walk in darkness again. And help us to know that we now have your light in us, your Holy Spirit. What an incredible gift, Lord. Please work in us for your glory. Amen.